Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. And Father, we, uh, we are honored by Your Word. We know that it directs us, and we know that when we study it, we experience Your presence and Your direction. Lord, we recognize that the Word has the power to change us and to direct us in some ways that we may not have planned to go, but we can follow You because it corrects us, it straightens, straightens us out, it gives us hope and inspiration. So today, Lord, as we look at Your Word, we ask that You would speak to us, as You always do, in Jesus' name, amen. I have the privilege today to share with you a passage from Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about a particular something that we all need in our faith walk. It's this idea of belonging. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, our passage we're going to look at today, and you can open it up on your Bible or turn on your Bible app or however you're going to uh, find that, Um, you're going to see this passage of Scripture that talks about belonging. We all have this need to belong, not just to find other people that are like us, not just to find uh, this, uh, to join a group of some kind, but this sense of belonging that's deep within our hearts that God designed and put there for us so that we would uh, have it and we would be drawn to Him. And we're going to see that those belonging needs are met today in two ways. One is in Christ directly and then through His church. That's what's going to take place in our passage. It's such a beautiful thing. You know, when people don't have belonging, then they go after it in different ways, or they try to fill that hole in their hearts in different ways, and it's it's sad. I mean, you can find belonging in a family. You can find it in school. You can find it uh, in a club or a sport or something like that, and that that does a little bit, but there's this ultimate belonging that we experience in Jesus Christ. There's some young people can't find belonging, so they'll join a gang. There's just need inside of us to have this belonging. And I, as I'm thinking about this, last Sunday I started my sermon for today, and, I, and on Monday morning I got on an airplane, and there was an, uh, a newspaper that I picked up, and uh, I was intrigued by this one particular article uh, uh, from um, uh, giving a report on a book written by Dan Butner, and he was talking about how you can live longer in life. And he, was, he gave numbers to it. I'm thinking, oh, this is kind of intriguing. It said in there, if you eat a Mediterranean diet, you're going to live seven years longer. And if you have a positive attitude of life, it's going to have a few more years. And I'm adding up all these things. I think, you know, if your normal lifespan's 80, then if you do all these things, he said you could live to be 150. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, that's interesting. But they don't count all the things that you do wrong that detract from your life. You know, you eat a piece of pie, that probably takes a year off your life. And so, uh, but I was struck. I was struck by this one note. In fact, let me turn off my phone. And I, and I ripped this out of the paper, out of the newspaper. Here it is right here. Can you see this? Oh, actually here. <laughs> there it is. But I ripped it out of the paper. It's number seven. And I was struck by this. It says, research shows that attending faith-based services four times per month will add four to 14 years of life expectancy. I thought, oh, that's good, yes. Good good job there for going to church four times per month or a grace group or whatever it is. I thought, wow, that's so cool. 
Now, I don't know today whether belonging, and that's the word they use there, belonging is going to lengthen your life, but I know it will deepen it. And so the things that you're going to hear today in God's Word are going to challenge us in a way that helps us understand why this belonging is so important. In fact, I, I wrote it down this way. A strong sense of belonging can help you feel supported, encouraged, and connected. It can give you a sense of purpose and direction in your life and help you stay accountable to your faith. Belonging is valuable for every one of us. Stand with me as I read this passage, and let's see what God has to say about it, then we'll comment about it as we go through. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, it says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. That's when you didn't belong. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body and through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off, to you who are far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, so now we have the conclusion, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Oh, there's so much there. Wow, he's going to talk about the church here. Before he does, well, we've got a few things to look at. So go ahead and sit down. Let's go back to the beginning where he says, therefore. Now, if you remember last week, we learned about the grace of God. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works. We learned that grace is so big. And that's what he's talking about in, in the first part of chapter 2, that the grace is so big that he saves you. And it's not because of anything you did. Now, that's important because he's now going to apply that in this passage. He says, therefore, because of that grace and how big that grace is, remember this. Remember, now he's going to look at the Gentiles in their former life. And he's going to compare them to the Jews. The Jews were the righteous. They were the ones who had God's truth. They knew how to live because God gave them instructions. The Gentiles were the bad people. They were the ones who did bad things, lots of bad things, because they didn't know God. And so you could give a list of all the bad things the Gentiles did. We had the good people and the bad people. The people who knew God and had all of the things that, to understand Him, and we had the Gentiles who were, um, didn't know God. They were everybody else. It was the Jews and then everybody else. And it says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision. So the Jews, they were circumcised, so they would say, you guys are the uncircumcised. We're the circumcised. We're the righteous ones. We're the good guys. Remember that you were at that time, and now we're going to have this description 
that we all need to recognize and remember, this is what it looks like to be separated from God. Words are used to describe the, the person here, not just the Gentile, but anybody now who is separated from God, so who doesn't know God. He says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. And he uses these words to describe this. He uses the words alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. It was really difficult for the Jews to embrace the Gentiles because they were bad people. They were just bad. Yet God's grace is so big that the church is this place where bad people can come and be together. And that's what Paul is saying here. This is amazing what he's saying here. It's just so surprising. Do you know when the church first started in Acts chapter 2, it was a Jewish church, that the 3,000 people who got saved were Jewish people who had come for their pilgrimage to Jerusalem in order to celebrate Pentecost. And then they went home. And so they carry this new understanding of Jewish faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God back home, and they're talking about it with these people, and churches start to form. And people are learning more about what it means to follow Christ, understand who Christ is. So for several years, there were no Gentiles really in the church until that story in Acts chapter 10. A few years later when Peter was up on the roof of his house and he was hungry, and I just can imagine this. I mean, he's up on the, the roof. It's a flat roof, you know, where you would relax. And he's up there, and he's uh, hungry, and he goes into a trance. I can imagine being hungry and going into a trance. And, and he thinks about food. And so the sheet comes down with all these unclean animals, and, and the voice comes out. God says, go ahead and eat this. And Peter says, no, no. No, I wouldn't eat that. Those are unclean things. I'm not going to have anything to do with that stuff. Three times the sheet comes down. Seems like Peter needs the number three a lot in his life. But the sheet comes down three times. And, and Peter, he says, no, no, no. This is... And then he wakes up out of his trance. And the Bible says he was perplexed about what does this mean. And then someone from the gate down below calls out, is Peter here? And so Peter goes down and he meets these men. Yes, what do you want? He says, well, well, our boss, Cornelius, from up in Caesarea, has experienced something with God and was told to come down here to meet you so you can come up and explain things about God. So Peter's saying, oh, this is interesting. Gentiles. Okay, so he takes, Peter takes his entourage after they come in and eat and so on. The next day, they go up to Caesarea. And when they go up there, they meet Cornelius. And he has this whole household there, a bunch of people listening. And so the gospel is proclaimed there, and they trust Jesus, and God does something miraculous. At that point, tongues, uh, the gift of tongues comes down, and these people start speaking in tongues. Now, Peter had seen that before. He'd seen it at Pentecost. It was a sign of, of the Holy Spirit's power coming down, and now the Holy Spirit's power is coming on these Gentiles. This was remarkable, and this becomes the opening for the Gentiles really to come into the church, changes the thinking of Peter. Changes this, this whole understanding of what it means to be part of the church or to understand who God is. Keep that in mind here because now the Jews have this problem. They're the good guys. And now the Gentiles are going to come into the church. These are bad guys. He's got all kinds of problems, these people. And they're coming into the church. So there were among the people in the church what we call Judaizers. We're going to read about them later in the Scriptures. These are the people who said, well, if they're going to be Christians, they have to become Jews first. 
If they become Christians, they need to get circumcised first. They need to obey the law. And so there's this question. Do you have to be a Jew first in order to become a Christian? And over time in the early church, Paul is speaking to this. He's saying, no, you don't. And now he's explaining that here in our passage where he says, you felt like aliens before and strangers to the covenants of promise. And he describes how they were before. And this is significant. But he, says, he says, you were having no hope and without God in the world. What a sad place to be. No hope. You were away from God. You didn't have God. And you had no hope. This is certainly this feeling of despair. When you don't have hope, it's like life is going to be this way forever. I'm never going to get well. Or I'm never, my life's never going to change. Or the circumstances I'm living in, I'm going to live with them forever, and I don't have hope in the midst of this. That's what it feels like. It's despair. The futility. Why should I even try? Why should I go out and do something? It's just this is hopeless. It's despairing. And then people engage in activities because of that hope. They, they isolate themselves or they start soothing themselves in certain ways to get rid of the pain of not having hope. And that might be uh, an addiction of some kind that they engage in or uh, abuse of medications or alcohol or self-harm or even thoughts of suicide because of hopelessness no hope and without God in the world. And I'm afraid that what can happen sometimes, even for Christians, is that they lose that hope that they have, but they move in a direction away from that, and they have, they act like non-Christians, no hope and without God in the world. And if you're feeling like that today as a Christian or as someone who hasn't yet trusted Christ, I want you to know there is hope, and that's why the very first words of the next verse are so important. Notice verse 13. You were this way, he says, but what does he say now? But now. There's something different about the but now. Now you have an identity, and that identity is specifically found in Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have brought near by the blood of Christ. It's like you just need to know that Jesus Christ wants you near, and he wants to walk next to you. He wants to care for you. You're brought near to Jesus Christ. You're brought near to the Father because of what? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is really powerful. It's so powerful that it brings these bad people, these Gentiles who've done all kinds of bad things that didn't know God, it's brought them near. Uh, this is the grace of God. And I would suggest that probably most of you, I think all of you, are, are Gentiles. And so we're grateful, so grateful that we can come into the presence of God. We're drawn into His presence. We were without hope, but now, and we were bad, and we still have sin in our lives, but we know that now through the blood of Christ we can accept Him. Great things happen. That's what he's saying here. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, the both is Jews and Gentiles, both one, and is broken down in His flesh. So we have the flesh of Christ and the, the blood of Christ. Isn't it interesting? We're going to celebrate the Lord's table today. We're talking about the flesh and the blood. He's made us both one, has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now this hostility that existed between the good people and the bad people, between the, the Jews and the Gentiles, is broken down. And so now there are, they're not different. We all stand before the cross equally. 
We all stand before the cross as sinners. Let's just go on and see what else he says about this. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. There's one man, that is every person stands uniquely, but with the same problem before the Lord. God doesn't look at these guys and say, oh, you're the Jews, well, welcome. Oh, you're the Gentiles, well, you come in the back door. He doesn't do that. He says, you're all one before the cross, every one of you, the good guys and the bad guys, we all come together, and we have what he's going to describe as access. One new man in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is the power of the cross. I just imagine everybody stands at this cross, all of us, equal. In fact, he says, there's no Jew, no Gentile. Paul says in Galatians, there's no slave or free. There's no man or woman. I mean, we all stand equally before the cross, and we have to enter through the door of that cross, thereby killing the hostility that exists between us because now we are all together in one family, which he's going to talk about, and he came and preached peace to those of you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, that word access, I want to pause there just for a moment. Because there is a mistake that's made in Christendom today where some people say, oh, everybody's welcome. And they don't, and all that's true, everybody's welcome. They discount theology and morality. And so sometimes churches say, well, everybody's welcome here. We don't care what you believe. We don't care what you've done. We don't care what you do. Just come and we all hang out together. That's dangerous. We have to be careful of that. So that's why here it says we have access. It's like we get this access pass. And in fact, I want to draw attention to um, further this particular point to the words, to the verbs here, because they're in the Greek. I don't want to get too technical here, but they're using the subjunctive mood, which is a mood that um, is has to do with possibility. It's not certainty. He might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile. In other words, those things are available. It's like the access. I think about it this way, and this is what I was doing in my own study, that we have access. We have this ticket. Admit one. Every person goes through the cross door by themselves. You don't get into heaven or through the cross because someone else says, oh, I'm a Christian. Just bring him along with me. No. Every person goes through that door themselves. We have access, and when we take advantage of that access, then we enter into this beautiful place that God has for us, this beautiful place of belonging. Belonging with God, and then, of course, He's going to talk about belonging with each other as part of the church. So let's go back to that no hope without God in the world, and it leads us down to this word access because we all have access. You do not have to live without hope. God wants to take us from hopelessness. He wants us to this encouraging place where He wants us to experience His grace in all of its beauty. Every one of us, no matter what you've done in your life, can experience God's grace. Whether you're a bad guy or a good guy, even the righteous person who thinks he's so righteous needs the Lord. This is one of uh, Jesus' whole points with the Pharisees because the Pharisees would point out and they'd say, oh, those are really bad people. And Jesus said, I, I, I came to save the sinners, to help the sick get well. I mean, that's Jesus' whole point. That's who we are as we're moving forward in our relationship with God and elsewhere. So then 
is the word, are the words used in verse 19. So now we're going to take this, and it's not just the access we have with God personally, which he's described so far, but that access also gives us another benefit, and that is the church, the belonging that we can experience as a church. And here's how he describes this. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now, those two words were up above. You were strangers and alienated, he said above, but no longer are you experiencing that because there's something else that God has for us. And he describes it in two ways. And this is the belonging part that we see. We're fellow citizens with the saints. That's the first thing he says. Fellow citizens. And a citizen is someone who has privileges and also responsibilities, or there are rules that go along with the society when you live in that. And so when you become a Christian, you have a different set of rules. When you become a Christian, you are uh, welcomed into a whole set of benefits that we enjoy as the church. So he's going to describe this church and what it looks like, and the first words he uses is fellow citizens. And so this fellow citizens makes us feel like, wow, I've got something. I'm grateful to be part of this society. As I think about this, I think back when I lived in Kenya. Our family lived in Kenya for nine months, and for some reason I had to go down to the U.S. Embassy to deal with my passport. Maybe I was, nine months is somewhere in there, you have to renew it or something. So I was down at the U.S. Embassy, and I walked in the door, and you know when you walk into the U.S. Embassy in Kenya or any other country, you are on U.S. soil at that point. It's like, I'm home. Just the way the whole place is decorated reminds me of home. The U.S. Marines are standing guard at the door. And I go in there, and I am so disappointed because now I see the window there where they're helping people, and the line, I just can't believe it. The line goes all the way along the wall, then goes back and forms this big S. And I'm going, I did not allow enough time to be here to go to this. And, and a lady comes up to me, and she says, are you a U.S. citizen? I said, yes. She says, oh, you go to window A. I look over there, there's only one person at window A. I go, this is great. I'm a U.S. citizen. I go past the whole line of all these people. I go and take care of my business in just a few minutes. And then I'm starting to walk out, and I have these two emotions, I remember. One emotion is, I am so sorry for all you people having to wait in this line. All the people that are not U.S. citizens have to wait. Well, not just the Kenyans, but the people from other countries are waiting in this line. I go, oh, man, I, I feel embarrassed almost that I have so much grace and privilege in my life. And the other thing I feel is just this pride that, yes, I'm a U.S. citizen, and I have all these privileges that I can enjoy here, like walking by you guys and going first in line. Well, if you take that analogy then and apply it to our lives as Christians, we can stand taller in our sense of identity. Paul is trying to amplify this whole sense of identity in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. And we come to this place now belonging. We say, yes, I belong. I belong to God because I was once afar off, but now I'm near. And I belong to His church where I experience His grace and we belong to the church, then there's something special that happens to us. We, we have these privileges. We're fellow citizens with the saints, notice. And then it describes the other analogy, is as members of the household of God. That's a family. God calls His, his church a family. I like those words. I love family. I grew up in a great family. My family's a great family that I have. And I really appreciate them and love them a lot. But there's something about the, the church of God that 
provides closeness and connection and accountability and, and all these things that happen in the church that are so special. I know that some of you didn't have the privilege of growing up in a, in a wholesome home, or some of you experienced challenges in marriage and parenting and have difficulties in your family with siblings and so on, and you just have to understand that God has created the safety that He calls the family to be that place where the belonging needs are, are met and experienced because we know who God is and we appreciate Him and we value Him and we value the people within that. It's just such a beautiful thing that we enjoy. There's some who say, you know, the closest people I have are not the flesh and blood, but the ones that I fellowship with at the church. There's a sense of belonging that we enjoy because we're part of the family of God, which says two things. One is enjoy it. Be a part of that, but the other is when someone comes in to Graceway, I'm so grateful that we're a welcoming church. So many people have said this over the last year. This church is so welcoming and friendly and eager to get to know us. There's so many opportunities for people to get connected, belonging. There's a place where we belong. Oh, I just appreciate that so much. It says, members of the household of God built on the foundations of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. It's founded on Jesus Christ, in whom a whole structure, that, that's all of us, the structure is all of you and me and everyone else here, we're a structure being joined together, growing into a holy temple. And so th that means that the bad guys and the good guys are all here together and we're all growing together into this temple in the Lord. And I, I temple? I'm thinking, well, that's an interesting word to describe who we are in Christ, temple? It got me thinking about the different aspects or, or how the temple started. And the temple is this place where we meet with God. That's how it started. Let me just take you on a rabbit hole here, a little tangent, to show you the history of the word temple. So the idea of the tabernacle is where it started. So when Moses came down off the mountain and all the people are worshiping the golden calf and they got all that experience, then eventually Moses comes down, even before the Ark of the Covenant, and he creates a tent. It's called the Tent of Meeting, or the Tabernacle, which eventually becomes this portable temple that they carry around. It was the place where you meet God. Moses would get out and go out there and meet with God. People could go out there and meet with God. It was the Tent of Meeting. That was the purpose of the Tabernacle. Well, when David came along, David built this great house for himself, and he says, but the, but the Lord doesn't have a house. I want to build God a house, a temple. But God says... You can gather the supplies, but I don't want you to build it. I want it for your son to build. So Solomon was the one who built this magnificent temple. It's where people would meet with God. They could come and bring their lamb sacrifice to the temple, put their hand on the sacrifice. The priest would kill that lamb, and the blood that would shed would be an atonement for their sin for the next, till the next month or the next year or whenever they would come back again. It was the atonement for their sin. And it was this place where they met with God. The, the singing in the temple was beautiful. They would worship the Lord in the temple. They would connect with God at the temple. People wanted to go to the temple. They wanted to go there so they could meet with God. Now, the temple was set up with access points. You had the most holy place that was separated by this veil or this curtain. And only one man once a year could go in there, the high priest. And then there were these levels of access that existed so that there was privilege, but it was limited. 
until Jesus Christ came along. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he tore down the veil so we all have access into the most holy place so that we can personally connect with God. I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself because the next time we have the idea of tempo developed is in when Jesus comes along and he does the miracle at Cana and turns the water into wine. And then he clears the temple. This is in John chapter 2. And the disciples say to, uh, the, uh, the religious leaders come and say, now, what sign do you give us that demonstrates your authority here? And Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're looking around, what? Are you kidding me? This is the magnificent temple that we have. It's taken years and years to build this. And then the commentary that John says is he was referring to his body, who he was. Because now you see, when Christ died on the cross, we can meet with God through Jesus Christ. We don't have to go to a physical temple. We can go to Jesus Christ. He's our access point to the Father. But then it gets even better because in, when, as Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in our body so that our hearts can be attached to God's heart. And Jeremiah predicted that this would happen, that no longer would the rules be written on tablets of stone, but you would have them in your hearts now. And so now we go to the Lord and we meet with God personally. And we enjoy that personal presence of God in our lives. Don't go to a priest anymore. Now you can worship the God, the God that you love so much in your car. You can worship Him in your home. You can worship Him when you're on a walk. You can worship Him when you're trying to get out of bed in the morning. You can worship Him anytime, and you can meet Him there. That's the access. And now he adds this statement. The church is the holy temple in Ephesians 2, 19 to 23. The place where you meet with God. Yes, you can meet with him individually, but when we come together and we share together and someone shares, let me tell you what happened in my life this week, and I go, whoa, that's so great. Or someone reads a scripture and I say, oh, I needed that today. Or we sing a song and I go, yes, Lord, that's who you are. And in a very real sense, the temple of the church of God becomes this place where we meet with God. And so he says this in the rest of the passage. He says, there's this holy temple in the Lord in him you, and that's a you plural, not just one of us. It's all of us together. You plural are being built together. This is a process. We're growing together because we have sin in our lives, and there are people that are irritating at church. And so we're all trying to work together, and God is building something in us that's beautiful into this dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I go, wow, I need that in my life. I need to know that I belong. And God has designed the, the belonging to come directly with Him as He draws us near, and He's designed this church to be a place of belonging. Let's just review three principles that we see about belonging. The fourth is that once we were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we all need, and we need to review it in our lives so that we're not without hope. We understand the hope that comes with that. The second principle is that we're fellow citizens, that we have privileges, and we have responsibilities, and there's a new way of living because we're part of the society that we understand. And thirdly, that we're members of the household of God, that we're part of the family, a place where we belong. It's a privilege for us to enjoy that in our lives. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, 
and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.